Anthropologists talk about liminal phases or middle passages during the human lifespan. The word comes from the Latin limen for threshold. These are periods where we are in between, shifting from a previous familiar identity to a new one that is ambiguous and disorienting, until it's not. Our new status, community, and set of responsibilities come to feel like a fit. Today, we'll meet musicians who have been touring first separately and then together since they were teenagers. They've stepped off the road for now as they await the birth of their fifth child and seek a definition of grown-up for themselves and an environment for growing up that fits their unconventional values and need for self-expression while best serving their children's needs. After our conversation, I'll introduce a word popular in the Tagalog-speaking Filipino community that adds dimension and depth to the scientific concept of cute aggression, and a poetic Welsh word for nostalgic longing for past phases of our lives. First, a disclaimer. What you are about to listen to is not a professional counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation, and the advice I offer does not constitute psychological treatment or serve as a substitute for professional diagnosis, intervention, or behavioral health care. In order to protect their privacy, our guests have been given pseudonyms and some personal details have been changed. If you have concerns about your child's well-being or your own, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. Good places to start? your child's pediatrician, the counseling staff at your child's school, and the American Psychological Association's Comprehensive Guide to Finding Resources in Your State. And now, on to the fun. How are you doing today? I'm okay. How are you? Great. It's a good day. Good. I'm glad. You guys just had a long drive. We did, but it was like part of the gift of just getting out of the house. And and usually we're on tour with our band, so it felt like a little slice of, of normal life. And just seeing like the expanse of the land as opposed to like the innards of my house. I don't know how much you're cooped up uh, in your situation, but we're really cooped up because we live in a small town. and I'm cooped up in Los Angeles, but there you go. Up, but yes. normally I'm touring and it's been mm. really interesting not doing it. Yes, <laughs> that's what happened to me. Well, I was in a band for 20 years and I just retired kind of touring as much because of our kids. So I feel you. Yeah, yeah. 20 years of touring. It'll do it. Yeah, I miss it. It's very alluring. There's almost yes. nothing like it. Yeah. And <laughs> yet, so let's talk about what's going on now. You've made a change so that mm-hmm. you are not touring as much. Yes. And you are drawing, writing comic books. I write comic books. Yeah. That, I mean, in theory, I was kind of basically putting music on the back burner to focus on comics, which I had been writing for about 10 years and was working at Marvel at the time. So I'm like, okay, let's go with this. 
But then actually I'm bipolar. I had a manic episode for the first time in like 10 years. Like I was the model bipolar patient and I had a manic episode mm-hmm. while working on like my biggest Marvel project. So I had to step back from that even. And then COVID hit. So now we're on the back there where we're working our way up. Talk about these four children, one on the way. And one of the themes we've noticed doing this podcast is that each family has a unique way of worrying and beating themselves up about how they're doing as parents and then projecting into the future and imagining either how they are implanting problems already that they will pay for in the future or how nearly unbearable daily life is for them and the children and what could they be doing to make it more pleasant or simpler. Just start talking about this. I will say that's us. Like the first half about the worrying and projecting is me and then the worrying about the current, what they're doing now and whether they should be doing more or whether she could could be doing more is Sherry. Those are our exact situation. For sure, yeah, completely. So Sherry, I know that you come from a family of six children that made music and toured. Yes. Your family with Max is a family with lots of kids and lots of music. Yes. Talk about your role as the curator of daily life, the (laughs) person who is responsible for smoothing the bumps or increasing the joy, Mm -hmm. how much satisfaction, how much frustration, how much resentment, how much delight? It varies definitely from day to day, depending on, you know, what mood any given child is in or, or I or Max are in. But I mean... It's really fun. Our days are pretty unstructured right now because the kids are still so little. And since we homeschool, we take a pretty relaxed approach to homeschooling, too. So it's more like a child-led learning type homeschooling. But that can also be stressful because you're like, am I doing enough? Are they learning enough? You know, there's that stress that is probably unnecessarily added because they're learning plenty and they're brilliant children. So, but yeah, there's that pressure constantly of, am I doing enough? There's Because there's so many of them. There's four, and there's about to be five. So I am constantly beating myself over the head, no matter how much I do, and I'm dead at the end of the day, like thinking back going, oh, you know, when that kid asked me for that, and I made that choice, and I hurt her feelings. It's just, it's constant guilt. I have a lot, we both deal with a lot of guilt as parents. I'm a Jew. I think that's... <laughs> Part of it. So I'm trying to remember this wonderful quote, but I want to attribute it to the proper person who said it. But it was something about how Jews, and I'm a Jew, so I'm allowed to say this, how Jews don't (laughs) drink too much because it would interfere with their unhappiness. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, I never got into it. Well, I, actually, I'm a Havzi, but it's my mom, so I'm like technically in the tribe. But no, I come from Irish Catholic and then Jew. So it's like... You got both just... I want to talk about two different kinds of guilt or rumination and self-doubt mm. and, Sherry, what you said about going over things. Mm-hmm. So there is productive reflection where you go over the choices you made and it helps you moving forward with the choices you're going to make next. Mm -hmm. 
And then there is that cyclical internal chatter that is a conversation with a kind of stupid low level consultant. Yes. Who so just true. catches you in every little detail. If mm -hmm. you had only pivoted left instead of pivoted right. And I want to introduce our audience to the children. So we have Jean, who is eight and a girl, yes. May, who is five and a girl. Hanley is the boy. He's two and a half, nearly three. Nearly three, yeah. Yep. Ray, who is nine months and a girl, mm -hmm. and we have a girl on the way. Mm -hmm. So this is where parents are so wildly creative. They can look at this situation and say, how wonderful. A little boy growing up surrounded mm. by women and learning to understand women yeah. with a very involved and present dad. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, how do I rescue him from the girl sandwich? And now I'm producing another girl. How could I have done that to him? Yeah, she worries about that. I, I love it. I'm a, like a total softy. But with him, I for some reason, you know, there's a compassionate... Like, I want to see him grow up right. And I know that's kind of an outdated, almost macho type thing that, like, I want to see him get kind of crafted into the right. But I think surround, being surrounded by women will craft. Because I grew up with women. For, I didn't have a sister, but I had a lot of friends who were women. And I feel like being surrounded by women will make him a better person. I think I have built-in concern about <laughs> the poor guy. as He is my only son, so there's that maternal mother-son connection with him that is it's different than the girls for whatever reason and i also had you know i was number two of six my little brother is the youngest i just know he got left out a lot and felt left out a lot and he communicates that now as an adult and i'm just like how can i avoid that and i know i can't avoid it but i just don't want him growing up feeling like he wasn't as special or or cool as <laughs> Of the ladies in the family, because there were so mm. many of them. So every person has a very limited database. You have your experience, Sherry, and yeah. you can look back at your brother and however he's functioning right now and say to yourself, I don't want this exactly for Hanley. And imagine that your son's experience is the same as your brother's experience when he had, even though it was a traveling musical family, mm -hmm. different parents, a different era, yes. a different culture, yeah. and different kind of parental involvement. Yeah, it's true. But it's all I know. So that's, I just can't seem to like turn it off in my mind. And it's just annoying to me because I know that I'm just projecting from my experience onto Hanley, but it's something I don't know how to get right in my brain. So here's a possibility. Do you need, would you welcome more co-leadership from Max with needing to school children in an unschooled environment, get them up? to sleep and awake in, in, and my notes say you have uh, co-sleeping. <laughs> so the way you live has a wonderful lack of the certain kinds of pressure that so many parents live with, which mm. is always hurry, always yeah. hurry, always prodding, always nagging, always structured, always mm. demand. Mm -hmm. You have the other end of that, which is 
so much freedom. I imagine so much art and music and laughter and probably good food, too, and mm -hmm. friends and flow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the balance between you and Max is what you would like it to be? The balance of decision-making and following through on decisions. Probably not, and that's my fault, because I... Wow! Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I know that I can be... I don't know if controlling is the right word, but I just, when it comes to things, I want to not burden Max with certain dumb decisions about the kids. So I will just leave him out of, like, say I'll make 10 decisions during the day regarding the kids or choices we have to make, and I won't go to him about it or make him make any of the choices because I just don't want to bug him because he's working or I don't want to stress him out or so I don't know what that comes from but whatever it is I have this kind of thing that's like tries to protect him but in the end it ends up making him so frustrated because he's like why didn't you just get help why didn't you ask me and I'm like I was trying not to bother you but I don't know if it's maybe so much that or it's that I kind of want the control <laughs> it's probably a mixture of both so, Max, you have a couple of things going for you in this equation in Sherry's head. One is bipolar. Mm. Oh, we got to be a little bit yeah. careful. <laughs> because we don't want him to have another episode-ish. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not even-ish. No, of course. But at the same time, it is a kind of pass in Sherry's mind. Mm -hmm. mm, more than it is for me. Oh, For I'm sure. sure. And could mm. you tell her that right now? <laughs> I'm telling you right now, as you know very well, that I own that bipolar and you don't have to worry about me in that sense. She actually has gotten really great about that, to be honest. She's as much as I could ask for in terms of giving me that independence that as someone with a mental illness I need. And I don't feel mothered by her. I mean, that's one of the many things that I love about Sherry is that she's compassionate, but she doesn't clean up all my messes or... You know, you can be bipolar and be pretty fuck. Can I say that word? Oh, it's a podcast. <laughs> You're pretty fucking. You can say anything. Yes, there you go. Basically, you can be very fucking functional and be bipolar. So, you know, I like to hold myself up to a standard and she doesn't pander more than she should, but she'll be there for me if I am feeling bad due to it. Yeah, and I think the part of the way I feel like I can contribute to helping him is by taking on all the extra stuff with the children and just making sure that he just gets to play and have the fun time and not have to worry too much about the annoying I... stuff. No, I, that's in, of course, we have a million children, so it ends up pouring over onto him anyway. And, and then I just end up feeling frustrated because I didn't ask for help, which is classic. I would say there's something that's, I know just already how intuitive you are, Wendy, that it's like, there's something beyond that which is that she's so smart. She's known this for years. She's really intuitive. You know, I've been in therapy my whole life, Jewish guy from LA. She's a girl from Texas and is just now starting some therapy. So these kind of realizations, you know, like I would see them immediately because I'm like a, you know, brainwashed, but in a good way, like therapy <laughs> nut. In those situations, I want to be clear, like, Let's say we're sitting on the bed. I'm playing a video game because I love video games. And I see her in the background kind of enter the scene with like bloodshot eyes screaming. And she's like, I can't fucking. So I'll be like, can I, can I help? What's going on? Like, or I'll stop playing preemptively just to be like, is everything okay? Is everything okay? I don't wait for her to come to me every time. But she is so 
A, compassionate for me, and I don't necessarily think it's controlling, but whatever it is, that even though you know I'm asking for help and you know the right thing to do, we've been told by therapists many times that you need to relinquish some and put more on me. She knows it, but still can't just actualize it. That's the action of it is the problem, not knowing that that's the case, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And it it strikes me that, Sherry, you use the word dumb decisions. <laughs> Very. Not a single one of those decisions is a dumb one. Some of them may be overthought. Yes. And I'm very interested in how much the children take care of each other. And the reason for that is we live in this crackpot culture where parents believe they need to do every single thing for their children. And I've been kind of bringing this up in every episode because it comes Mm. up so much. The kids aren't even wiping their own bottoms reliably at pretty advanced ages. Oh, our kids are wiping their own bottoms. Good, good. Okay. Yeah. Metaphorically also. I mean, you know how all couples shit talk and you always have your own little, we're better about this, but you're not. You have to bat at other things. We definitely are so respectful of our kids in that way. And and Mm -hmm. I think that is a strength is, is letting them become people on their own, take risks and also be there for them should it not go well, but also let them learn things on their own. And it's not even on their own so much because we do co-sleep. So we're always in this small room or the back of a tour bus together. Sherry comes on tour with me and I go on tour with her. Yeah, it's true. We do give them a lot of space to become their own individual and they're really self. It's not physical space, but we'll we yeah. emotionally we're like, you know, talk it out or. No one has physical space in our family. No, they're very self-possessed. Especially our two oldest daughters. They're like twins, even though they're two years apart. So they are like joined at the hip. They do everything together. They take care of each other. They play together. And I think that's where my concern for Hanley comes in. Because I'm afraid that the pattern of the two girls that twin up, it's going to happen again with these last two girls. And then he's Mm. just going to be like, hello, I'm out here in the dark. Where is everybody? (laughs) So, oh, so that's forecasting. Yeah. But I'm really interested in what lights Hanley up. He is definitely very artistic. He is constantly really focused on painting, drawing, building things. That really gets him excited and he likes to focus on those things. Even at a young age, he was doing complex things with blocks and toys and building weird towers and patterns. And and so he does have this cool technical part of his brain that I would love to focus on more and help Mm. him excel at. And I feel like I got to do that with our first two daughters, you know, but once you add more and more children, you know how it goes. So I just want to provide him the same kind of support that I gave them, which was a ton and still do, obviously. And it's like he's an ignored child. I just mean, like, I've been pregnant for like two years now. So, you know. And I feel the same way, honestly. Like, I feel equally because, you know, there's no like gender dynamics in our family where you know, girls and boys are that different in a way. You know what I mean? Like he'll walk around in a dress or sit with them and draw princesses and stuff. And, you know, not to like flout that as some kind of cool, like, you know, hipster thing. I just mean like, you know, I think he will naturally, because he does have sisters, find things that other boys that they might feel alienated about. He'll have these other channels of of creativity and ways of thinking because i am like a sort of feminine guy in certain ways and i only had one brother 
And I think if I did have a sister, I would have loved it, talking to her about girls, getting advice, and <laughs> just thinking about things from a woman's perspective, which I never really had except for my mom and you. One way to look at Hanley, because again, we have this idea that every child needs each parent's full attention all the time. Otherwise, they're deprived and beginning to sink even as we watch them stand tall. And that Hanley has a relationship with the stuff he builds, with his creations, with the texture of paint, with color, with shape, with form. And this is what parents do. It's an instinct. It's how we keep the children alive. But we look at each one to see what's missing instead of what they have even in abundance. Talk to me about how different than a family with one or two children and a very conventional way of living. Tell me the things your children know how to do, do independently and do for each other. It's a good question. My first two daughters, they know how to make scrambled eggs. They'll make eggs for Hanley and they can make sandwiches or they'll bathe our smallest daughter, Ray. You'll give her baths and she's all mad. So they'll change her diaper. They'll give her a bottle. Huge, huge, huge. (laughs) So you have confidence that they have the judgment, the self-restraint, the discernment and the fine and gross motor coordination to take this little one and properly change her diaper. And let's compare this to the kids who are not flushing the toilet. And I'm not saying your kids are better. I'm saying that different environments provide children with different opportunities. Mm. So this is stewardship that they are providing for Mm. each other. Cooking, cleaning each other, certainly entertaining each other. Yes. Yes. And and in a very interesting way, I was going to say that- Describe it. Yeah. I mean, like the the best example is that Gene, the eldest, and me are creating a full Netflix length TV show. It's like a horror like drama that she's directing on an iPhone and it's edited like an actual film. Sometimes she's like holding the camera. Sometimes she's acting- And those are the kind of things I wanted to do, but didn't necessarily have the time or space to do when I was little. And she just concocts all these things. I would say that to me, their biggest strength is thinking pretty deeply about things and like not being in an insular little like kid. It's so tricky because they're much deeper than we give them credit for and Mm -hmm. much more shallow. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. (laughs) And the shallowness sometimes shocks a tired parent. So you are having a tantrum about this. You're complaining about this. Excuse me. There's a pandemic. We're driving across the country. We're all cooped up together. And you are being such an ungrateful, bratty little animal. And it's so confusing when you have these really capable children who have such an enriched life. But let's talk about deep. Do you see them tending to each other's, and I don't know a less sentimental way to put this, but 
tending to each other's hearts and minds. And the reason I'm asking this is in a family without four, soon to be five children, the parents are very often called in. They're first responders for Mm -hmm. the children's emotions. Tell me what you see with the kids. I mean, they do that. But I also, when we don't give them the option of using us as the first responders, right. like say every you know couple nights we have a gazebo and we will go out date to night. get some space date night and we'll just, we're right there. We can see into the house, the glass doors. We can see the kids if we need to, but we kind of tell them, do on your own, do your thing. You know, you can get your own food for each other, you know, make sure that Hanley's okay. And they are amazing. They completely take care of themselves. They play amazing and they do all the things that will change the baby's diaper. She wakes up all those things. But then if they have the option of us being involved, they will immediately, immediately may have did this. And I don't know, I need yeah. help. It's blah, blah, blah. But if they don't have the option, it couldn't matter less if we were there or not. <laughs> they could take care of themselves fine. But we don't we don't see it because they only come to us to complete, like you said. We get called in or, you know, and then they're like tattlegrams. We call, we call them. it a tattlegram. Tattlegram. <laughs> yeah. Do you say that to them or do they say that yeah, to you? We, we say it's actually cute. something it's her cute. dad came up with and we will we'll call them out on it. Yeah, uh, I love that. So one of the opportunities you're giving them when you, you go into the gazebo is to be free from the two of you. Yeah, they need it. <laughs> Just as much yeah. as we do. And it's something that children are deprived of now. Children now have an adult supervising them, watching over them, sizing them up, grading them, evaluating them, and monitoring them almost all the time, except when they're sleeping. And then there's the baby monitor, and there's some new kind that you can attach to the baby's but Sherry, you probably no, know no. much more I don't about this. No, because yeah. I don't even have a baby monitor. After yeah. the second baby, I stopped using them. I was like, if you wake up, I don't necessarily want to know every time. So I'm turning this thing off. <laughs> and that's a really good phrase for you. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the problems with your high intelligence that we can use it against ourselves in judging and rehearsing and going over the events of the day and seeing if they match up. Mm-hmm. And to get the baby monitor out of your head and to practice caring somewhat less. And it feels like neglect because the default now is not only overprotection, but over concern. Mm The beautiful part of that is loving, devoted, engaged parents who are friends with their kids. Max, speak. What were you thinking? She's actually okay about that. I would say she's better at it than me. And by necessity, because she's had to breastfeed. So they're just attached to her. So like when we have date night, for instance, which is our cherished little escape, I'm the one who's feeling terrible and like I'm neglecting, especially Jean, because I have that firstborn girl daddy thing. We'll talk about it maybe later, but I will straight want to cry sometimes and feel such guilt, uh, which is all about me. I know it's not real. Again, I've been through therapy, so I know it's stupid, but I still have it. Uh, Like, I'll, I'll feel like, God, I'm letting her down. Yeah, and it's so irrational. And Sherry will tell me, it's okay, you're great. Like, don't worry. Like, And people say it to me, I've been in therapy for it, but it still persists. No matter how much I can rationally 
explain away that it's like, it's a daddy daughter thing. And I've been through hell as a bipolar person and that's, they're all connected. I still haven't been able to actually, so I, I deal with those things being not able to disconnect. Instead of guilt, I'd like you to consider reframing it as longing. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. Cause it, cause it's like, the top longing, 100% on a visceral level, is to be with and, like, make out with Sherry. But then this <laughs> weird part of me, not weird, but coolly weird, compassionate dad part, just wants to spend literally all day and night with this little girl. You know what I mean? Like, she's, like, kind of my little bestie in certain ways. But it creates this whole cinematic narrative in my head that's just bullshit. And it's my biggest problem, actually. It's not bullshit. And it's something called cute aggression. Oh, he has that completely. <laughs> I have photographic proof of his cute aggression. <laughs> what is it? What is it? It's a sociobiological term and it it's an instinct. When something is so unbearably adorable, it's yeah. exactly why people want to eat babies. Oh, I have that. Big time. Yeah. It is so powerful. It's a heightened sensitivity to cuteness. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so funny because I attack our dogs and I'll be like, <laughs> like I, and even the baby, I like, I've conditioned, they love being like, because I'm yep. like around my face all over, I'm throwing them up and down. And that's how I show my affection because I do have such cute aggression. But I mean, in that Seriously. case, it's healthy. But then in the case of longing, like you said, that cute aggression creates an, oh God. But there's so many things connected to it about me having a fucked up life and not wanting to, you literally at the beginning of this thing called it with the first half of what you're describing where I project my future onto her and I can sometimes compare myself to my parents when I shouldn't. And even with the knowledge of that, I can't zen or mindful my way out of the effect. And it's it's brutal. It's, I feel like it's too much. And I don't want you to zen or mindful yourself out of it. I want you to have a conversation with little Max in a very, very loving way and to say to him, sweetheart, I know. I know how much you miss your girl. I know it's really hard to stop thinking about her and focus on this beautiful, elegant, talented woman that you cherish so deeply. Put your arm around little Max, and it's hard to say this in any way that doesn't sound corny, but like to it. say to him, buddy, I know you want to be there. What are they doing? We're stuck out here in the gazebo. We are in purgatory, <laughs> and we're supposed to be loving each other like mad right now on cue. <laughs> and scheduled hell, I knew it was coming. Now we're in it. How many minutes till it's over? Yes. Oh, my gosh. If you approach it that way, he could calm down a little. We're not asking him to go away. We're not asking him not to be there. The cute aggression exists in people who find things really adorable. I love it. I love it. Nurture versus nurture. We'll be right back. It's not easy to find a therapist, the right match for you who has expertise in the issues you want help with and whose schedule fits yours, which is why BetterHelp is so popular. If you're having trouble meeting your goals or difficulty with relationships or trouble sleeping 
or you're feeling stressed or depressed, BetterHelp is available. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is secure online professional counseling that is confidential and available to clients worldwide. You fill out a questionnaire to assess your needs. BetterHelp matches you with a licensed therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Send messages to your counselor anytime along with scheduling weekly video or phone sessions. If the match isn't right, it's easy and free to change counselors. So many people have been using BetterHelp. They're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Nurture versus Nurture listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash nurture. Visit betterhelp.com slash nurture and join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional. Third Love uses the measurements of millions of women to design bras with all-day comfort and support. How does it work? The Fitting Room Quiz is an easy, interactive experience that focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues, and your personal style. Throughout the process, fit stylists are available for one-to-one chats to answer any questions. Short educational videos teach stuff you never knew— how to put a bra on properly, how tight straps should be, and where the band should rest. And in the Asking for a Friend section, you can learn things they didn't teach us in middle school health class, like how to prevent breast sweat. Every third love bra is made with memory foam cups, no-slip straps, and a scratch-free band. They offer over 80 cup sizes ranging from AA to I, including half cups and bands from 30 to 48. Third Love wants you to know that a great fit and style is out there for you. Right now, they are offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash nurture now to find a bra that fits and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash nurture for 20% off today. So it's part of the whole bipolar picture. It's a rich and emotional palette of feelings. That's so cool. Wow. What a cool thing to know. I assumed that I'm not the only person on earth who felt that way, but to hear that it's actually a a concept psychologically is hilarious. And to take it as seriously as the bipolar, because it does, it sounds funny, you know, and when you see me with a dog, it's cute. But in this case, it's like a source of serious grief. When you think cuteness can actually cause, it's yeah. a funny thing. He'll straight up cry about it. Like if, we'll have, if he's feeling too guilty or tired, he'll just like get emotional and cry about it. Like, but I will say, you know, I am like passionately obsessed on a sexual level with Sherry. Yeah. So it doesn't come from me. I never, I never want gazebo time to be over. It's just that I'm pulled in two different directions. Most of me is with Sherry, but there's a small nagging voice that goes, you're betraying your daughter. She's going to grow up and become a prostitute. How much power little Max is giving to (laughs) Big Max? Wow. So he's sitting on your shoulder. And one of the things he's saying to you is your longing for and love of this woman 
Your tenderness towards her, the sensuality you enjoy together, the private jokes, the humor, the fun. He is saying to you, what about us? What about me and Jean? Did you forget about us? Are you just leaving us out of this? And then he writes a really interesting narrative where next step for Jean is— The streets. Yeah. So— how does that little piece of logic work, actually? Because you're with Sherry, Sherry, who is very devoted to all of these children, how does Jean get to be a prostitute? Tell me the path. How does that work? Okay. No, not the prostitute part. I'm sure I could project that whole, like, who, what yeah. kind of pimp she would end up with. But, like, more Better so— Better than you. And a little <laughs> yeah. competitive with him. And maybe he's making more money. Yeah. And got cooler <laughs> clothes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes, Definitely. Honestly, part of it is just straight nostalgia and watching her grow up, which I, obviously I've been yes. taught, yes. you know, this is fine. Everyone has it. And that's great. And that's a part of it. And I'm not expecting that to ever go away. And I know it's healthy. But since we basically went through a really dark time about five years ago when Hanley came. Mm-hmm. No, three. It was three. three. Yeah. So yeah. so the third child thing I basically had my, as a bipolar person, I had my first like episode since I've been married to Sherry. So for about 10 years, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm even with my band, with our fan base, I'm kind of used as this bipolar fans are always like, oh, Max is okay, so I'm going to be okay. But then I started smoking weed. a lot of weed. pressure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I like it, but I let it go and I screwed up. And then concurrently, Sherry was going through some serious postpartum. We were honestly drinking a little bit too much and we're not like alcoholics we definitely don't even like it that much but we we had too many date nights where we'd just be like fuck it let's get a little sloppy and we would get into fights Mm -hmm. stuff like that and they were dark considering we have such a sort of fairy tale thing with each other and in a healthy way like i don't expect it to be perfect but we really are obsessed with each other in a good way so to see that get dark for the first time was very traumatic yeah for both of us we were kind of like whoa we can even get to yeah. this level like this is weird like who are we and so i felt got, like yeah. that took me away from gene as it was happening because she was may have been scared and you know and and it felt like a big betrayal to her and now i feel like i'm trying to make up for that so have either of you been married before i was married for like seven months before the guy cheated on me and left so <laughs> i don't know if that counts it and you're nearly a child then. Yeah, yeah. I was like in my early 20s. So we're going to consider the marriage you have now, your second marriage with each other. You have gotten cool. through something really, really difficult. And you figured out how to make it work. You have a choice, which is to take that bit of PTSD from that really dark time and use it as a sort of a yellow alert that can pop up at any moment or to see that you figured out how to get through that and reconvene. The other part, Max, is mourning that as children grow, parents mourn that in particular... We mourn the four-year-old. We mourn the babies. And we feel very anxious about adolescence and puberty. What's going to happen then? You two have two things happening right now. You have a daughter on the cusp of puberty. 
and you have a new baby coming, and last time there was a new baby, was that difficult period was right after Hanley? It kind of carried through because not only did we, after we had Hanley, you know, Max was manic. I was postpartum. We were fighting. We ended up like losing our house, moving in with my parents, finding a new house, moving into that house, going on tour, and then finding out I was pregnant again. So there wasn't any time to process the really dark time we had gone through. And then COVID. She was born during COVID, and we have another one being born during COVID. It's just craziness. Tell me about the emotional posse that the two of you have that is not just the parents and the four children, soon to be five. Who do you have that you get to open your heart to plus laugh about the absurdity or insanity of daily stuff. Like friendships and stuff around us? Yeah. Friendships, grandparents, a sibling, um, anybody. I have a pretty good pool to pull from because I have a large family and it's really close with all my siblings. You know, we grew up really close, obviously playing music together and that really bonded us traveling across the world, always stuck in small spaces. So I'm close with all my siblings and then my sister-in-laws I'm really close with and my parents I'm close with. So I have a lot of people I can talk to. Max, not as much. He has friends, but they're all pretty far away. Yeah, that's my only problem. And it is a problem is that I lived in LA and New York growing up and then I moved, we fell in love really quickly, got married relatively quickly. And so friends will occasionally come here and it's like, oh my God, and we have a, like, you know, thing. but like, I have a ton of friends and close friends and I will speak to them and get deep with them through like text and on the phone. But obviously in looking someone in the eye, you know, I, for instance, I have a friend who has four children. He's the only friend of mine with four children. Mm-hmm. So if I were to be able to see him, we could look at each other and be like, oh, you know, and then I know other people are feeling what I feel. Even talking to you, it's like, okay, this, there's a world outside of this. So I don't have that. But I am close with Sherry's family in a serious way. Like, her dad is one of my best friends, so. Oh, why is that? What is it about him that you enjoy? He's very youthful. He's a lot like Sherry. And he kind of loves music and design. And he's kind of like a dude who never grew up in a way. You have similar sense of humor is really similar. Yes, he's dark, but he's extremely moral. Like, they're actually, like, pretty religious Christians, but still like, even though I'm like a whole thing, they find it (laughs) interesting and I find his thing interesting and it's like a back and forth. It's great. So this relationship with Sherry's dad is one of the pieces that you can put in the puzzle of your relationship with Gene and those moments of guilt and longing. So true. The (laughs) fellowship with your Young, dark, clever, cool Christian father-in-law. Because that's not so common. When you're in the gazebo with Sherry, you've got little Max in there saying, oh, how is Jean doing? And I'm abandoning her right now. And I do (laughs) see she's going on uh, fans only. Is that what it's called? The website? There's some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Only fans, only fans. (laughs) Got only fans already. Yeah, she's um, already reserved a spot. Oh, God. God. 
Sherry, what is your father's first name? His first name is Boyd. Boyd. Okay. So literally, Max, you can say to yourself, what would Boyd do? Because what we do, especially in the pandemic, especially raising children, our default mental state is anxiety, decision fatigue, and beating ourselves up because there's nobody else we can beat up that it's going to be effective and make this better. (laughs) And these deep and rich and complicated feelings that flow in and flow out, like yearning and longing and wishing to feel different than you feel. Yes. In part because we want the situation we're living in right now to be different than it is. And I'm not talking about radical acceptance of everything, but just being able to move a couple of inches away from it. Yes. And to be able to mock yourself, and this is tricky, without getting snarky and mean towards yeah. yourself. Oh, yeah. We definitely mock ourselves but sure. without getting mean. If it's, yeah, it's almost cute. It, finding it cute, these instead of like, look at this idiot. Yeah, exactly. Another thing is I'm really bad about asking for help, obviously with Max, but outside of Max, so I shouldn't just rely on for help with the massive family we have. I'm bad about asking for help from just like getting a nanny sister-in-law or sister-in-laws or anything. With. And I think it's because I was number two of six kids. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We were a single-income family. And she just gave everything she had all day long, every day, and never had help because I couldn't afford it. So I decide somewhere in my mind that if I'm getting help or if I'm you know, I'm being weak or I'm not, or whatever the verbiage is, and it messes with me and then it, it's unhealthy, you know, for me in the end of the day, because then I'm just exhausted and, and angry. <laughs> when I work with families where there is money from the grandparents, so maybe the grandparents pay the tuition or the grandparents help pay for the house, then the parents can feel both privileged and enslaved to the desires of the Patrons. So what I say to those families is your parents are so fortunate that they can be benefactors to such worthy people and grandchildren. You are giving them the privilege of the opportunity to help you out. (laughs) Sherry, I want you to think about a nanny or any other kind of support you need as giving someone the privilege of being part of this family and also employment because people need a job. That's a good way to look at it. And I've never looked at that way. I always think if I'm just burdening someone by needing their help. Burdening someone by getting to be around the two of you and your five children and seeing the gazebo and listening to music all the time and looking at Hanley's constructions and his art. And the sort of lovely spirit that you both have. Sherry, do you have anyone helping you now? Anyone that you pay money to to provide service to this family? No, we have a lady that co- will come and like tidy the house, but it's not what I, it's not what no we nanny. Need. No, no okay. nanny. Look at this word you use tidy, tidy <laughs> the house. So there's a giant continuum between a little tidying and deep cleaning or 
taking full responsibility for certain domains so that creative artist mom with her five children who are very responsible and know how to scramble eggs and change a diaper so that mom can have some time for whatever pastime, whatever endeavor. Dad is making a horror series, Talented Dad and His Talented Daughter, an iPhone movie, and you are doing that every single step beyond tidying. Yeah, it's true. Does the family budget support the opportunity to have assistance for this family? Ish, because it's just like any entertainer's budget. And, you know, even if you transpose that onto some billionaire, I imagine they have their version of it. You know, we're somewhere middle classy of it. But because of something like COVID, we'll go from having a ton of money for us at a certain time to like next to broke. Yeah. It happens almost randomly, sometimes based on the whims. We're both working on kind of turning a corner into a into a new phase of our career, which we're very happy with. Two pieces. I want two pieces of that. One, to decide what that phase is going to be, and then to really think about money management and budgeting, Mm -hmm. because there is a kind of Peter Pan flavor in certain families where we are too free and easy and flexible and creative and forever young. The challenge is. These things are a combination of hard and boring. Yeah. Very much so. The boring thing is really what gets Really boring. And most artists have some form of ADD. Most of them have some flavor of bipolar. And then there's a little narcissism mixed in there, too. And (laughs) that makes budgeting fall low (laughs) on the priority list. Do you have an accountant? We did. We're in between them. We technically have one who does our taxes, but we had a full-on business manager since I was 19 up to when I decided to stop touring with the band. And that was this huge shift. Actually, we were doing pretty great and stable and there was budgeting. And we do sort of, or maybe somewhere in between being complete Peter Pan and then being, because like I'm pretty on it to some degree. But then at the same time, I was a kid. So they acted like my parents. It was like yeah. they didn't let me learn. Now Britney I like Spears. Yeah, exactly. And it was considering I was in a punk band, you'd be surprised at how much it's like being a child actor. Dude, yeah. Should so, I go stop the screaming? You're asking me to do it. I'll do it. No, should I go stop the screaming? The child screaming. In the no, I would love to. You talk. I'll, I keep talking too much. So <laughs> you are not talking too much. How do you decide right now whether the screaming needs tending to or not? Oh, well, I just didn't know if it was going to mess up the recording if it was oh, going to. You know yeah. it only adds to the okay, recording. Okay. But Good, I don't care. Okay. No, okay. he's fine. No, it's just, it's Hanley just screaming because he's insane. So it's all good. Yes. <laughs> he's a madman. He's not insane. And <laughs> children make lots of loud noises. Parents have a wonderfully developed instinct for when a child is in danger or not. So I don't want a child in danger, neglected. At the same time, this screaming does not interfere. No, it's not a I'm in danger scream. It's just I'm playing loudly scream. But if it were Gene, I would have done the same thing. So, you know, this has been a thing since he was born. And that's why we kind of had a mental breakdown at that time. Because when he was a baby, the scream was killed me because he's the first not girl and I the cute even though he's 
friggin' adorable. Something with obviously daddy daughter. There's like the cute thing is really pulled up even a notch. And I was like, oh my God, he's just screaming. He's just to let him scream. It's good for him a little bit. He wasn't in danger. Like he needed to scream it out a little bit, like right now. But she has this understandable and awesome maternal thing where she's like, even though that's what he does like all day, you still have the is he in trouble? Like, but it is a thing. Oh, absolutely. Because even if I hear if I hear him screaming and I know he's playing, if he sounds upset screaming, I never know he's not hurt screaming. If he's upset screaming, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, the girls are probably picking on him. I should go see what's going on. And it's that thought. I don't even want to have to deal with that thought because our girls are not bullies. They're not picking on him. I just I have this concern for him 24 7 and it's just it's probably because he's my only son obviously and i but i wish i could kind of turn that knob down in my brain and not think about it so much so we want guidance about budgeting and planning financial future we want support for you sherry you just said 24 7 (laughs) and Part of that comes when you're a little bit raw so that the screaming, and this is how humans are designed, that screaming is designed to be extremely aversive so that you will run and keep the creature, your offspring, alive. Yeah, right. The urgency of it is felt in a greater way if you are insufficiently nourished on every level and rested. Yes. So that it becomes something you're desperate to stop. And it is interesting for all of us that it stopped on its own. Mm-hmm. When you do go in there to tend to the screaming, I don't know how you organize it, but what lots of parents do is they set up a court. It's a whole court. Who did what? Then the kids lie like crazy and (laughs) keep their hands clean and blame a sibling. So what you can do is walk in there and either of you walk in there and simply say, screaming and see what happens or loud voice and wait for them to elevate the conversation or and the same thing with anything you anything you, you need done cuz parents do a tremendous amount of ineffective nagging and mm-hmm. reminding and if they leave their shoes in the middle of the floor where someone can trip you can simply look at them and say shoes my family we were a lot louder with parents would just like clean up your shoes clean up your crab don't leave your shit on the floor Max had a different growing up. So I will see him over communicate endlessly to like our toddler, just like about something. I'm like, he's not processing this. You could have stopped like 10 minutes ago and just kept that really condensed. And it would mean the same thing to him, probably more. So um, it's something that Max will tend to do. And it's cute because he's a very verbal, communicative dad in person. But at the same time, I think it kind of bites him in the butt sometimes. Definitely with that guy. (laughs) I I love two of these phrases. One is condense and biting in the butt. So (laughs) it's so tricky with these kids. They're so smart and dumb. So they're really <laughs> articulating. Your kids are around adults a lot. All they're kinds very of smart adults. And very dumb. And the dumbness <laughs> is just that they 
have not developed the cognitive maturity and sophistication that matches their vocabulary. Along with that, in that equation is this tremendous urgency and longing, what we were talking about before, Mm -hmm. to be satisfied. So they are passionate, they're sophisticated, they're good talkers, and pretty irrational a lot of the time. Over-talking almost always comes from good intention speaking above their level. Yeah. Definitely. I feel like I have this role to try to be the dad who teaches him to be okay with his emotions, but in reality, I'm not speaking his language yet. Well, for like, example, you know, for a good example, is last night, you tried to sit down with him and Hanley was already overtired and Max Adamo was trying to talk to him and Hanley was just being just rude to him. He was like, I only love mommy and I don't want you right now. And Max I don't started, like you. I don't like you. <laughs> and so Max starts crying and trying to like communicate with him out. Wait, 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 wait. Literally crying it was, tears? It was man tears, like... You know that that hurts my feelings. It was like it wasn't like an over the top okay. crying, okay. but there was okay. some no, tears. Like sobbing, yeah. yeah, yeah, there was like a one manly but very like <laughs> astute tear that went down my face, and I'm just like, you know what that makes me, you know that makes me feel right, man. You know, it was too much completely, but it wasn't over the top or traumatic for him. In fact, he didn't give a fuck. No, did it work? No, but what no. worked was giving him a timeout, and then I went over to him and I was like, and he was sad that he's in the timeout. And he wanted to come out. And he's just like, oh, I love you. And it, not even in a manipulative way. He just was happy that I was taking him out of time out. And he just wanted to say he loved me. And he did love you for having the key to the cell and springing him loose. <laughs> and one thing to say to yourself is when a child says, I hate you or I love mommy more, but especially I hate you. It, and he's saying, I hate this. I hate this situation mm-hmm. mm. tell me if i'm wrong because the whole thing started because sherry was in the shower and he goes where's mommy and i'm like oh she's in the shower and he goes can i go see her i'm like unfortunately she wants to be not i didn't say it like i'm like mommy wants to be alone right now and then he said i only like mommy so it's very obvious that he just missed mommy and it pissed him off so he wanted to like tell me about it you know it made him angry at me <laughs> and of course it did and which is <laughs> fine And it's not unfortunate that he can't see her then. It's reality. Yeah, exactly. And what you can do is offer him satisfaction in the future. So you can say, she's in the shower now. Right. Probably, and I don't know his sense of time yet, but you do. In a little bit of time, in 10 minutes, you know, after we do this, she'll be out of the shower. Because they haven't had enough experience of time yet. So, for example, for children, you both remember this. When you were children, a summer was a couple of years long. Yeah, it was an eternity. An eternity. And so if they don't have a way to attach longing for mom to some kind of time post or time frame, then it's an eternity There's no pity needed. You can have some empathy and compassion, and you do exactly what you do when they were younger, which is to distract them. So a tired child is that child with their age divided in half. A tired two-and-a-half-year-old is a tired 12-month-old, you know, and that's how you approach it. 
That's great. Same for adults. Yeah. So oh, you yeah. So want true. to divide your age by a lot, which is why I was talking about taking Little Max into the gazebo. Nurture versus nurture. We'll be right back. Spring is upon us, and we're starting to come out of our year-long hibernation. This is a good time to take care of essential business so you and your family can feel more secure and begin to explore the world freely once again. Shopping around for life insurance is not on people's list of uplifting or fun activities, but having insurance feels really secure. Here's how to get started. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team will set up your new policy and answer any questions you have along the way. Their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies. All the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice are free to use. So while you're tidying up around the house this spring, you can get your insurance needs organized too. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that your loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's good to get it right. We've been cooped up for more than a year with scary news reports and our own internal chatter not the most trustworthy or refreshing company. Consider inviting some new guests into your headspace in the form of a popular, for a good reason, validated through clinical research, meditation app called Headspace. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions. Want to quiet your mind, boost your focus, increase mental clarity? Headspace makes it easy for you to build a meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. For parents, Headspace has meditations for toddlers, older children, and preteens. We teach kids to look after their bodies. These techniques help them learn how to care for their minds. Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash nurture. That's headspace.com slash nurture for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. To access an offer for our listeners, head to headspace.com slash nurture today. For the two of you, Think about how important it is as you become a family of seven with one child after another entering puberty. If any of them are saying to you, I hate you now, they're going to be saying, I hate you a lot. And they also, teenagers love their parents so much and they don't quite know how to show it. But it's a very exciting and interesting time to be a parent. You have a lot of fantastic journeys ahead of you. You need something beyond tidying. It does not have to be a full-bore business manager, but to not carry all of these responsibilities yourself. Yeah, because we did definitely grow up like not taking care of that stuff. So it's not a natural thing for us 
we're not that we're not responsible, but we just didn't learn those tools early on. So now kind of we're scrambling, I feel like as adults with all these kids to figure out how to budget and how to run our finances. And so that we don't just like have money and then run out and have money and run out. And cause it's very stressful. And, and also cause it's so non-traditional. I mean, even within non-traditional, we're non-traditional because like some of the stuff that is really, really niche in how it functions on, on my end, there's this podcast, but then I also write comics and I'm in a band, but it doesn't function like a normal band because it's technically just me and then other people who play with me. And Sherry, you know, like same deal. She's the main singer, but at the same time, like, so it's very complex. And there are people who would just put a blanket statement over it all, just spend less money. Like if I hear that again, I'm going to, because it's like, we're trying. We have kids. So I want you to spend more money because we need a support team. And what children appreciate very much is structure and predictability because that allows for serendipity. And without serendipity and adventure, you don't get to have enough fun. That's amazing. I leave you on that note. It was a pleasure to meet Thank you. both Same of you. Same to you. Today. This was you like, too. you're great at your job. I've seen quite a fair few of you people. <laughs> fair and you literally like I often walk away feeling like I didn't learn anything, but I really it's mm -hmm. what you're doing is special. That's cool. Very much. Thank you. And what you're doing is special, too. And okay. you just want to broaden the foundation just a yes. tiny little bit. Yeah. Thank Take you, good Andy. care. Bye bye. When they're not evil, psychology lab studies are clever and inventive. Participants never quite know what's being measured. Yale University researchers wishing to understand the human instinct to squeeze adorable creatures really, really hard gave subjects bubble wrap to hold, showed them photographs of cute, funny, or ordinary-looking animals, and instructed them to pop as many or as few bubbles as they wish. The results? Subjects watching the cute images pop significantly more bubbles than those viewing the funny or control pictures. Some things are so cute that we just can't stand it, psychologist Rebecca Dyer concludes. Cute aggression's prevalence does not mean that people actually want to harm cuddly creatures, her co-author Oriana Aragon explains. Rather, the response could be the brain's way of tamping down or venting extreme feelings of giddiness and happiness. So many of our untranslatable words help us understand and acknowledge powerful but entirely natural feelings. The popular Tagalog word gigil is used to describe the urge to pinch or squeeze something that is unbearably cute. The Welsh concept of hirith describes a poignant, wistful longing or nostalgia for a place or time you cannot return to, the lost places of your past. Growing up means leaving a familiar identity and landscape. Parental guilt, worry, and doomy forecasting are often a lively cover for unacknowledged grief over the passing of children from one precious stage of childhood into new and unfamiliar territory. This is especially true today, when parents and children are so close, so involved, so tight. In the hotel room, 
The night before my husband and I dropped each of our children off for college, I played the chick's version of the song Landslide. Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Well, I've been afraid of changing because I've built my life around you. But time makes bolder, children get older, and I'm getting older too. I cried, so glad to have music that matched my emotions. How are Sherry and Max marking their passage? She's considering that getting help doesn't represent defeat, but instead an opportunity for expansiveness. And by making a full-length horror movie with his daughter, Max is turning a liminal phase into a rite of passage, a passing down of talent and treasure. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I look forward to being together again next week. 